You're listening to Advice from Your Advocates, a show where we provide elder law advice to professionals who work with the elderly and their families. Hello and welcome to our next Advice from Your Advocates. So today we have a very topical question, uh, topic about what's been referred to as the public health emergency. Most of us call it the COVID pandemic, but as it relates to government benefits and some government programs, it's referred to as the public health emergency. So the public health emergency will be coming to an end at some point, and that's going to result in some chaos, I can guarantee you. And so my guest today is Amy Purcells. She is the Director of Planning Services at Manor Law Group. So, Amy, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the public health emergency means when it comes to particularly Medicaid context? Sure. Um, As far as Medicaid goes, in March of 2020, when everything started to fall apart for COVID, the, the government, the federal government actually, put a hold on Medicaid renewals. So every year for Medicaid, you have to do uh, what we call redeterminations. And you're renewing your Medicaid approval application. And so that was put on hold effective in April of 2020. And from that point forward, we have not had those renewals. So anyone that was on a government program, Medicaid, um, food assistance, any of those types of things, they are automatically renewed on that. And they haven't had to reapply. None of those things are happening. And now that we've got the public health emergency discussion, it may be coming, or it will be coming to an end at some point soon. And so do you go even further than that? I believe that the rules said something like that if you were on either in March of 2020, uh, that they can't kick you off for pretty much any reason other than, I think it was active fraud. Is that right? Right. Active provable fraud. In other words, uh, they can't just be a suspicion of fraud. Um, you die. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or you voluntarily go off. Right. You could actually ask to be removed from the program. So potentially someone could have won the mega millions and still be getting Medicaid assistance if they didn't tell anyone about it and ask to be removed from the program. So essentially, there are a lot of people who are still getting Medicaid assistance that do not qualify at this time. And then what about uh, the issue of can they uh, anybody that was on Medicaid as of uh, March of 2020, can they, and this is a little bit more controversial of a question, but can they increase the copay or patient pay amount for those people that are on long-term care Medicaid? So the rule of thumb was no. We haven't been seeing that happen a little bit lately with uh, caseworkers are going in and readjusting the patient pay amounts but they are not supposed to adjust those whatsoever either. Um, And even if you were to sell your home or anything like that during that time and you've got large sum of money that they can't kick you off or readjust your patient pay, any of those types of things. So can, for those that aren't as familiar with Medicaid, can you explain to them what the asset limits are 
and for the applicant themselves. Now, I want you to clarify a little bit that the applicant themselves, what they can have versus what a spouse can have. But if it was a single applicant or a married applicant, there's still the same limit, right, for whether the applicant themselves was what assets they can have. Can you clarify that a little bit? Correct. So essentially, a single applicant or even a married applicant that is receiving Medicare or Medicaid assistance can have a house, a car, and uh, up to $2,000 in assets. So cash basically is where you want to mostly keep your assets so you can purchase anything you may need. And um, up to a $1,500 face value life insurance policy. Now we want to clarify that that is for what I would refer to as nursing home Medicaid or long-term care Medicaid. There's lots of different Medicare programs, right? There's uh, Medicaid for under folks that are under age 65, the Healthy Michigan, I think it's called, um, part of the Obamacare, uh, Affordable Care Act, expanded Medicaid in Michigan and many other places. Those rules do not apply for those folks under age 65, okay? So those rules are basically, uh, particularly somebody in a nursing home or receiving waiver or pace uh, benefits. Right, right, correct, yep. So then if, in fact, for the most part until recently, and we'll get back to this question in a second, if in fact they weren't increasing the patient pay amount, what problems does that create with the issue of keeping that applicant under $2,000? Well, if they're not increasing the patient pay amount for the last couple of years, everyone's gotten a raise in their social security. It may be minute, minute um, a small amount, but it's still a raise. And therefore, if they kept $2,000 in their bank account, there may not have been, obviously, you know, hair salons and things were closed um, mm -hmm. for a large amount of time here in Michigan, especially. And, um, so they weren't probably getting their hair done. They weren't spending the money that they were getting in those, that $60 that they get to keep every month. So they get to keep $60 out of their income every month for incidentals. Um, so that money builds up and, um, you know, over time with, especially with, you know, different COVID incentives and things that we were given uh, stimulus funds, all of those types of things, mm -hmm. those, those bank accounts have, have grown. Let's come back to that stimulus funds because that's an interesting question. I know you have a good answer on that. But what's interesting is you're basically saying what I'm hearing is for a variety of reasons, most of the people on Medicaid are going to have consistently over $2,000 in their account now. And it could be for other reasons, like they got an inheritance or they sold their house or, you know, any number of others just not spending the same amount or because their income increased and their, their payment, their patient pay amount didn't increase. So what's going to happen when those rules change? <laughs> so obviously those redeterminations will be coming out soon. And at that point when they do, all of these issues obviously will come to the surface and cause people to be kicked off of their benefits uh, for that reason. And, you know, another example of the uh, income being an issue is if you have a married couple and the uh, community spouse is what, you know, they would be referred to your, your person that's still at home and not in the nursing home uh, dies. Mm -hmm. And then their income 
So they were getting a pension and now it goes to the person in the facility. Well, their patient pay wasn't increased by that amount because they couldn't increase it. So now they're getting an extra $1,500 a month. And so they could potentially have fifteen dollars or $20,000 in their bank account right now. And that is a large issue. Now, I don't want anybody to be too worried about it because we do have some assurances from the federal government and the state has indicated they will follow those assurances that there will be a process. <laughs> now, it I'm worried that it's going to be a kind of an ugly process, but uh, can you walk through the time limit once the public health emergency ends, which we'll talk about when we think that might happen in a second here, but once the public health emergency ends, how long does the, are they going to immediately get kicked off if they're over asset or how long does the state have to uh, to catch up from two years of not collecting this data sometimes? So we will have 14 months from the time that the health emergency ends and it's a rolling period. So anyone that was approved in, um, we'll just use January as an example. So in January of 2020, will get the first redeterminations. So those January redeterminations will come out. We will file them. Then it will move on to the next month. So then it'll go to February. So um, anybody that's in the December timeframe, we won't see for 12 months down the line. So, um, you know, it gives us a little bit more time with them. But even with the and that January is an example. It doesn't mean that that's when anything's happening. Um, right. But as far as even the January ones or whatever the first month ends up being, we can always fix it. You know, we can work with it and we can make it work and um, make sure they're qualified before that renewal goes through. So I know the state of Michigan, the Department of Health and Human Services had done a I guess a webinar, if you want to call it that, uh, kind of detailing what they knew about the when and, and what the process would be about the end of the public health emergency. Did they provide any insight? And I'm not sure that, frankly, that they have all of their policies in place yet, but did they provide any insight that um, confirms what you just said? In other words, that it will be based on the month that they originally applied as far as when the recertifications will be done. That's what they implied. Okay. Uh, in that in that webinar, that was the implication that they had given. Uh, that was that how that was going to roll through. So hopefully, that's exactly what we see. And this is the really important question. I think this is going to relieve everybody's concerns or some of the concerns at least, which is, can they kick you off before they send you a redetermination? No, absolutely not. They have no proof of anything. Well, and that's the federal government made it clear the two things. And so, what you know, I, I'm not going to say the state might not, some states in particular might not try to push the envelope a little bit, but the federal government, I believe, has been very clear of two particular things. You can't kick somebody off just because the public health emergency ended. You have to do the redetermination first. And then only after the redetermination, determine whether or not that they are continue to be eligible. And that secondly, that they can't go back and try to recoup for those times where you weren't eligible because you were over asset or for some other reason, but it was during the public health emergency. They can't try to recoup. I mean, there's always a state recovery, right, which we'll talk about briefly in a second. But they, while you're living, they can't try to penalize you because you were receiving benefits when you weren't eligible during the public health emergency. Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. There's no back. You can't go back. 
So let's go to the point of the, the, uh, the million dollar question, which is when will the public health emergency end? <laughs> and so let's talk about what we know, what we don't know, and what we're pretty sure because we're just hearing sort of rumblings and rumors, but we hear them from pretty reliable sources. So let's start off with what do we know? So what we know is that the current public health emergency is set to end on July 16th. The- 2022. Right, this year. So in July of this year. And the state, the government actually had until May, so you have 60 days before they have a deadline to say whether or not that was going to be extended. And they didn't, they have not answered that yet. So as of right now, it's set to end in July, but obviously it can't because they have to give a 60-day notice. So we have to have notice of 60 days ahead of time. So at this point, uh, and the public health emergency, as in the past, has been rolled over for three months, 90 days at a time. So we are expecting at this point for it to roll back over uh, the 90 days to October and that's where we're looking at right now. And this is my, <laughs> my two cents on it. So um, nothing has been safe, stated as of yet on that, but that's how we've seen it going in the past. And so just to get to the technicalities of it, basically what the federal government said, and this is not in the law, so to speak, or in the regulations, not in the or public health emergency order, but they promised us very clearly that they would give us 60 days before the end of notice, before the end of the public health emergency. So as Amy indicated, well, as we sit here today, as we're recording this, it's less than 60 days before July 15, 2022. Therefore, our presumption is that it will get extended. There is, again, back to the technicalities, they do have the ability, so let's say they extended another 90 days, they have the ability to end it before that 90 days is up, but they promised us at least 60 days notice. Right. So they could extend it on July 16th and say it's gonna be another 90 days, but then end it in uh, September, right? Mm -hmm. But they promised us at least uh, the uh, at least 30, 60 days notice before they'll end that. And then the state has, uh, you know, they have to start the redeterminations immediately. They have 12 months to do it, but 14 months total to complete all the redeterminations after the end of the public health emergency. Having said that, so we know what we know is at least it's going to go through July 15th. We, based on the government's promise, we know it will go beyond that. What we believe strongly is that it will be extended another 90 days. And the rumblings are that it's at least gonna be through October 15th. There's a possibility that it could be extended again and go into next year. If I had to flip a coin and say, which is it likely to end on October 15th or going to next year, I'd bet on the going into next year. I don't know that. This is, like I say, flip a coin. So this is the, that's not anything official. That's just my gut and what I'm hearing rumblings about is that it's likely to get extended even beyond October. Yeah. But I could be completely off on that and they could renew it and then cancel it in September. September. It could be September. At this point, we 
the earliest would be September. Well, technically, they just have to give us 60 days right. notice. Right. So at right. any point, they could say, we're going to extend it, sure. but we're we're giving you 60 days notice uh, as of that. But with the new rate, you know, we're still seeing COVID and we're still seeing some of these things that, um, and, you know, there's a lot of work for the the uh, caseworkers. I don't I don't envy the caseworkers at the, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services because there's going to be an avalanche of work for them to catch up on. So um, it's going to take some time and there's going to be some mistakes. And some of our, frankly, a lot of our clients are going to need a lot of help. And so I, if you're in the community, if you're a social worker, if you work with any, any of these settings, you might be able to help them through this. But some of the people are going to probably need a lawyer because they're over asset. What do we do? What are we allowed to spend on? What can, how can we take care of this? How do we make sure we don't get kicked off Medicaid when their time for redetermination comes up? Do you have a suggestion for anybody that were they were that are the listeners are going to send to us because they're going to get a redetermination as to when they should send them to us? So they do it at the deadline of the redetermination or sometime before that? Well, obviously before. So if you know that the public health emergency is ending, uh, you know, and we will update obviously everyone as we are aware of it. But if you know that it's ending, um, you know, obviously, and someone has too much money, so well over $2,000 or $2,000 or more, or they are got their house up for sale and it's closing, and so they'll have some more money, then you should probably send them to us. And, and we, can, we can talk to them now mm-hmm. about trying to get things situated at the current time. So we don't have to wait until that time. But, you know, if they feel more comfortable waiting, I, I don't mind that they wait. We can do it at any time, but obviously before the deadline. <laughs> and so just so you know, because I don't want to say Amy works miracles sometimes, but she certainly does a very good job. What if you have somebody coming in a crisis and they say, redetermination, I, uh, it's due tomorrow, <laughs> or it was due yesterday and I got denied, I got this denial letter, should they still come to us? Yes, usually we have a little bit of leeway that we can still work with them and, and it's not good, it's not ideal, but if, if that's the first time you get notice of it is when they get the denial for Medicaid, send them our way, we can probably still help them. Cost a little extra, but you know we can probably still help them. All right, I got a couple of rapid order questions for you. What do they okay. call it? The um, on the game shows, rapid order questions. Sure, uh, sure. So one is just very briefly thumbnail sketch because I mentioned this earlier. Estate recovery. Explain what I meant by estate recovery. Okay, so when someone dies, then uh, and they were on Medicaid, they were getting Medicaid assistance. Their everything that they may own or that is in their name could be subjected to estate recovery. So the state of Michigan could come back and put a lien on things. They could, they want to, uh, if there's a probate, if so, if you have to go take your a house, for example, you have a house that has to go through probate because there's no one else listed on the deed, the state of Michigan potentially have your house. So they could take your house from you. Um, so while it's exempt while you're in the nursing home, it may not be exempt after you die. So you would think, well, if they're on Medicaid, they really don't have assets. So what would they recover from? Well, that's typically accurate, but remember there might be some exempt assets. And so for those folks, let's say they still have a house uh, and somebody's paying the maintenance on it or the taxes or whatever, there's some planning they need to do before they die because otherwise that could be subject to a state recovery. Okay, next question is, 
This is, you had mentioned that some of the departments, some of the caseworkers are now increasing the patient pay amounts. Um, what is your opinion as to whether or not the public health emergency rules allow for them to do that? They state that they do not allow for that to happen. And what we believe is happening is that basically the state jumped the gun on that. Uh, they went ahead of their, they're trying to get ahead of the game. As Bob had said, you know, the caseworkers are going to have a lot of work ahead of them. And they realize that. So they're trying to get ahead of the game. Uh, essentially, uh, I was on the actual webinar that happened in May and they were, um, they were thinking that the health emergency was going to end in July. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, they thought it was over in July and without question. And so, therefore, they were just trying to get ahead of things, um, preparing for those redetermination windfall that they were going to be getting. So, I they were just jumping the gun. Um, so, I think that that's an important thing to note. And again, back in April and May, I, I believed it too. I We all kind of were thinking that the public health emergency was ending uh, this summer. And uh, we started planning for that. And then the COVID rates started going back up again and that it didn't happen. I've heard a few people out there say, oh, well, it's gonna happen in phases and those phases have already started. Is there a thing that the, I mean, there is a thing that it's gonna be phases once the public health emergency ends, but is there a thing that until it ends, it's phased back in? Not that I've seen or heard. The webinar did not say anything about phases. It was the health emergency ends and then everything begins at that point. So one of the other um, examples, there's a number of rules that are special for the public health emergency time uh, that give additional advantages to the folks that need the help. And so one of them would be that a lot of nursing homes have um, what they call dual certified beds. Some are Medicare only certified beds. And so what is the rule with regard to Medicare only? If you can explain what that means, and then what's the rule during the public health emergency? So right now, Medicare only, or not right now, but Medicare only beds mean that they're rehab. So if anyone's in there for any type of rehab in a facility, then that bed is supposed to be utilized for Medicare uh, rehab. But not, not Medicaid. Right, but not Medicaid. It's not a Medicaid bed. So just to clarify, that means the facility cannot get reimbursed by Medicaid if you happen to be in a bed that's Medicare only. And they each facility knows which bed is Medicare only, which one is dual, which includes Medicaid. And if you happen to be in a Medicare only bed and you get Medicaid, they're not going to get reimbursed in normal times. What about during the public health emergency? So during the public health emergency, there was actually a uh, stipulation put into that stating that any bed could be utilized as a Medicaid bed. The facility did have to go through some paperwork to make that work, but any bed could be used as a Medicaid bed. Uh, so you know, as far as that goes, they, it didn't have to just be a rehab bed. And just to clarify, that's only in licensed nursing homes. So a lot of people use that term nursing home to include things like assisted livings or memory cares or even sometimes independent living. Well, for this, the, what we're talking about, nursing home is a term of art. It means they're licensed under the state licensing statute as a nursing home. 
assisted livings, uh, memory cares typically, and uh, independent livings are not licensed as nursing homes. They might be licensed under one of the other licensing matters, but they're not licensed as nursing homes. So it has to be a licensed nursing home bed in order for that rule to apply where they can get Medicaid, no matter how it was previously licensed. So uh, any closing thoughts? I just wanted to make sure this is a timely thing. People keep asking, when is the public health emergency gonna end? When are we gonna have to be prepared for this? I wanted to get this information out there as quickly as possible. Any closing thoughts, Amy? Just if you know of anyone that needs our help, please send them our way and we can help them and get make sure that they are certified. Great, I appreciate it. And thanks for your time, everyone. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit mannerlawgroup.com.